Um, a lot of times I try to think about some way I could like sneak something in that people wouldn't realize that I'm saying it, and it would just kind of sound normal. And with all the different biblical terms, names, and stuff that are in the Bible, I feel like you can almost do Mad Libs and combine random things together and just say it with a straight face, and people wouldn't even notice. So here's an example. <clears throat> and then Moses' letter to the Philistines, he told Peter to build the temple that his father Ishmael never completed. <laughs> if I just said that in the middle of a sermon and didn't laugh and didn't pause and just kept going, I think there's a good number of people who wouldn't, wouldn't even bat an eye. They'd be like, those are some biblical names. Yeah, there was a temple. People had fathers. Sounds good. Checks out. I even thought about, like, you could probably mix it with, like, some things we're used to hearing in history classes, too, and just mix in other things, like, when Isaiah crossed the Delaware to warn the Corinthians <laughs> that the British were coming, he said this, and probably, again, a lot of people wouldn't pay attention, and I think that's just something that's just cool and fun and interesting about humans, that you have enough regularity in something, and they'll miss all the nonsense in between, so... <laughs> Anyway, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew 11 um, at 1 through 15, if you want to turn there. And this will be most of what we're looking at today. We'll look at a couple other scriptures, but this is the main thing that I wanted to talk about. So um, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen. Lord, help us to listen to your word this morning, and um, I just ask God that you would just help it pierce through whatever's going through our minds right now, and, and um, whatever filters we kind of have up, and Lord, I ask that to each one of us as individuals, you'll speak to where we are currently in our lives, the things that we're struggling with, the things that are on our minds that are weighing on us, wherever we are, Lord. Um, thanks for your word and for it being this evergreen, true, can mean something um, new and speak to us in a new way, only a few months apart. Um, from hearing it before. Um, we ask this in your name, amen. So my first point is, um, uh, I, so when we talked about this before, we talked about disagreeing, and I kind of honed in on there being some differences of opinion between like Jesus and John in this case. 
But what I want to kind of think about this time is John experiencing uncertainty, right? So he's gone to the lengths of sending two of his disciples to ask Jesus what's going on. Are you still the one? Are you still the one? And so John's experiencing some uncertainty, which I think we can probably all uh, empathize with. Amen? If you've been certain 100% of the time, um, then you are preaching next week. So (laughs) you are volunteered. So my first point is just that Jesus can absolutely handle our uncertainty, and he is not hindered by it. And then I have a kind of follow-up question to that. Um, That's the point, but then just want you to think, when you're experiencing uncertainty, what do you do? And where do you turn? In this situation, I don't think it's that John the baptizer is just simply questioning like Jesus' style or his methods. I don't think that's really it. Uh, I think he's had some reason to become uncertain about the entire plan. Um, are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? That's not just like a, are you sure you want to do it that way, Jesus? You know, Are you sure you want to say it that way? If Jesus isn't the Messiah, if he's not the one to come, the the one that's been prophesied about, um, then that's a big deal. That's a big change (laughs) to the plan. If he's not supposed to be the son of God who comes to to die for the sins of the world and then rise again, um, that's a pretty big change to the cosmic rescue plan that John is part of. John was part of leading Jesus in and preparing the way and uh, for whatever reason, he's calling into question Jesus' identity, or at least wondering about it. And is he the one I was supposed to prepare the way for? He might wonder if he paved the way for the wrong person, baptized the wrong guy. We know that Jesus was a you know, common name at the time. Did he accidentally baptize the wrong Jesus? Oops, that'd be a big problem. Um, he might have wondered about if, if he had a role to play in this plan at all. He's been spending time, at this point, he's in prison, so... He's, it's cost him something to do what he's been doing, and he might be questioning the whole deal. Am I in prison for nothing? And boy, can I empathize with John. I mean, I've never been Jesus' cousin. I've never been out in the desert and worn camel hair and eaten locusts and honey and all that stuff, so it's pretty different. But I have experienced some pretty severe uncertainty, and I bet you have too. Um, I used to work for a humanitarian ministry, and I would go on trips and be sort of dropped in to a country I'd never been to, spending time with nationals there who were just like, had kind of had to like deal with me for two weeks. And I had to basically find a way to film stories that talked about what God was doing there and bring them back here. And every single time I would get there, I would feel like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I've never been here before, I don't know the language. The people that are with me, they know what they're doing. But every single time I'd be like, why did I let myself get into this? Like, can God really use me? Can I find some cool story or something that talks about what God, the ways God is moving here? Um, and that was basically the f- first four and a half years of my life after I got out of school. So uh, that was a big chunk of uncertainty. And then eventually I left that job feeling like God kind of was closing that door and wanted me to move into a new season. So I left without having another job lined up. And once I did that, I was like, hmm, that was not the smartest career move. Uh, people pretty much tell you to do the opposite of that, line something up first before you leave. And um, so that was about a, like a four-month period of like straight-up uncertainty about what I should even do with my hands, with my time, with my work. And then um, about, actually it was very conveniently around that same time is when my parents' marriage super suddenly fell apart. And that caused a ton of uncertainty. I know there's people in the room who've had something similar happen to you. 
And that just kind of rocks your world, or it can. Um, super weird, and a lot of reasons to not just call into question, like, you know, things about my parents or whatever, but also just asking God, like, why is this happening? What do you want from me? What am I supposed to do here? Um, I don't really know what you want me to do, and there's not a clear path forward. And questioning kind of my whole role and him working in my life, that kind of thing. And then even working in ministry now, I spend time with you guys. I hear the ups and downs of your lives, and I always have doubt and uncertainty turning in my mind. Like, did I say the right thing, or did I just confuse somebody like Mateo more? You know, he doesn't need that, probably. Um, how, how can I challenge someone's perspective but also express my deep love for them? Uh, what can I or any one of us do to keep this crazy, weird group of people in this room together and not only help us keep, stay together and sort through conflict, but also work together towards some common goal? You know what I mean? Um, that seems pretty hard, and that's what I've signed up for, I guess. And then also I sometimes wonder, like, why didn't my documentary film degree prepare me for all this? You know what I mean? <laughs> Seems like it's not really applying very much. I'm a pretty anxious person, um, and I make that even better by drinking lots of caffeine all the time. <laughs> so that's just a picture of what uncertainty has looked like in just a recent chunk of my life. Um, I could probably list a lot more things, but... Just so you know, as I'm talking about this thing, I'm not someone who's like, I've experienced a little uncertainty. I've had buyer's remorse before, bought a car, wondered, should I buy a different car? Did I, get, did I get ripped off? Something like that. That's not the kind of uncertainty that I'm thinking about and talking about. I can relate very much to the kind of things that have happened in y'all's lives. I think it's important to note that when we look at Jesus' response to John's uncertainty, he does not guilt, condemn, or like, you know, publicly just, like, I don't know, uh, talk bad and bash John. Uh, he can handle it. Jesus can handle it. Probably expects there to be, I mean, with the disciples, I'm sure it happened often, some questions, some uncertainty, some wondering, some not totally getting it. We're these little humans. We don't get it all. But Jesus moves past it and moves right on to responding um, and, and getting to a point he wants to make without there being this like, see, John's, John's a big guy. He's questioning me. Um, who is he to question me? Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. He moves on toward what he thinks John probably really needs to hear, what he really needed to be reassured about. We'll talk about that in the next point. But just to say, I think just that little part, the beginning of this story, can really show us that Jesus can absolutely handle our uncertainty, and he's not hindered by it. So I'll just state those questions again, too. And when you're experiencing uncertainty, what do you do, and where do you turn to? My second point is that when we lose focus on Jesus, we will lose our bearings. Not just that we can, but we will. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Questions to think about on that point is, is it Jesus you're looking to? Or are you looking to something else or someone else? So I'll say both those again because I'm kind of moving fast. But Yes, I'll say both again. Yes. When we lose focus on Jesus, we will lose our bearings. Is it Jesus you're looking to, or are you looking to something or someone else? We know this is true because it happened to John, okay? And Jesus said he's the greatest. No one's been born of a woman greater than John. And even John questioned. So I think there's, there's some pretty good biblical backup for us doing that too. <laughs> I'm no John. No one's greater than him, according to Jesus. And yet even John quite significantly lost some perspective here. He didn't just get a little 
off, didn't have a couple questions about the finer details of Jesus' plan. He got very um, off on his perspective here. And I kind of wonder what John and his disciples were looking for. What were they looking to at this time when they experienced this kind of doubt? I'm just going to throw a bunch of possibilities at you. I'm not, don't take these as like gospel or I'm not a scholar who went and studied all of this stuff. These are just things that as I was empathizing with John, I could see maybe be going through his mind. Do you think there's some part of him that wanted Jesus to go and take over politically, just take over the the whole country, overthrow Herod, rule the country? That was the hope for a lot of people at that time, so it's not like totally outlandish to think that. And a lot of people for centuries um, had thought that that would be what would happen anyway, that when we would have a Messiah, that that would be what would happen. He'd come in and take the throne, just like we talked about in in the statement that Matteo and Adam and Ricardo read. Um, do you think that there was a chance that it was due to John's specific current circumstances? He was in prison for picking a fight with Herod. Um, he might have understandably been at a really tough time, really low point, hanging out in prison for a while, alone with his thoughts, alone with his doubts. Um, maybe he was getting pretty focused on his own situation, hoping that cousin Jesus would back him up or teleport him out of there or something like that. Um, thinking about what's the way I can just get out of the situation I'm in. Um, And if I'm not getting out of it, does that mean that Jesus isn't who he says he is? Or maybe it's something like this. John was pretty radical, pretty out there guy. We all know that about him. The locust honey thing is pretty weird. Uh, Camel hair, challenging religious leaders, doing things like picking a fight with Herod. That's a pretty big deal. He'd perform his own baptisms. I'm sure the religious leaders didn't love that, that he was just doing that and didn't ask their permission or whatever. Jesus was radical too, for sure. So I'm betting that there are parts of that that John really liked and was like, yeah, okay, he's coming in, he's going to be radical just like me, kind of validates the way I've been doing things. But I wonder if there's a chance that Jesus was more radical, more uh, radical in ways that John didn't expect, didn't want, didn't, um, I don't know, didn't, wasn't totally jazzed about. John might have heard that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors. Um, including Matthew, who is the one writing about this, that he was hanging out with, uh, with Samaritans and hanging out with a centurion, hanging out with teachers of the law like Nicodemus. I wonder if those kind of folks, the people that John criticized the most, rightly so, um, and probably had some reasons to not like, I wonder if the fact that Jesus was hanging out with them and breaking bread with them and drinking with them, what if that was any part of John's questioning? Who knows? Maybe it's not a stretch to imagine any one, two, three, or a little bit of all of those things were going through John's mind. And I think it's an easy biblical illustration to just jump right over to. It's like both a good biblical illustration and a really good visual one to look at when Peter walked on the water just a couple chapters later in Matthew 14. I'm going to read that real quick. Um, So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, 
Peter answered him, Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. When he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and he began sinking. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you're the Son of God. We really must do our absolute best not to take our eyes off of Jesus, even for a moment. Peter, just for a second, started noticing the things around him, how windy it was, how much it was churning the water. If he noticed that, I'm guessing it's that he took his eyes off of Jesus, quite literally, looking down at what the heck was happening. It's pretty perplexing, right? You might want to. I would be tempted as well. I'm walking on water right now. I'm pretty sure this is what I'm feeling under me. It's not wood, not a boat. And it's super windy. And I look down at the circumstances I'm in right now, at the craziness of what's happening, and I start to lose trust in Jesus. It's really important that we cannot take our eyes off of Jesus for even a moment. There is grace when we do. He will lift. It's almost impressive how capable we are at doing that so quickly. Remember how creation was pretty all right for like a week or so at the very beginning, and then it went very wrong very quickly? (laughs) Um, That's the kind of people that we are. (laughs) So there's a lot at stake, though. There's a lot at stake in this life, in in this mission we have of trying to follow Jesus. It's life or death for people who don't know him. There are so many countless distractions, tantalizing thoughts, sexy philosophies, inspiring ideas, harmless hobbies or causes. Many of these things are not inherently evil or bad. Some are, and I'm looking mostly at reality television, but we simply can't afford to let anything get between us and Jesus. We have to keep laser focus on him. So I'll just restate that point that when we lose focus on Jesus, we will lose our bearings. It's really just a matter of time. Is it Jesus you're looking to? Or are you looking to something else or someone else? But there's really good news. My last point is that when we put our focus back on Jesus, he tells us, don't worry, my kingdom's happening. It's happening anyway. When we put our focus back on Jesus, he tells us, don't worry, my kingdom is happening. And that's what he tells to John. Jesus responds so carefully, carefully, purposefully, really graciously to John in a lot of ways, sends the message. Um, And when he says this, he's referencing Isaiah's prophecies, which would have been something that John would have known really well. It would have been great. Just like someone sending you your favorite song or something like that, they know that you like this. They know that you know this. So when Jesus says this to the messengers, he says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So he's basically saying, like, don't worry, John. (laughs) The plan's coming together. Remember this prophecy? My kingdom's coming and it's happening right now. It's not like way, way off. There are, we're getting to see versions of it right now. These amazing things that we, that Isaiah wrote down that we kind of thought might happen someday are happening right now. Don't worry, my kingdom's coming. What would Jesus say to you? 
if you were the one sending a messenger to him, you're the one stuck in prison, or to all of us as a, as a community. I wrote down some ideas of my own, but mind you, this is not an exhaustive list at all. What would Jesus send in the messengers? He might say something like, children are being born right here among us to be raised up as disciples from the ground up. He might say something like, campus ministries are on something like a dozen, I can't keep count, Focus is doing that, but um, a dozen or more campuses around the DFW where students are being transformed and equipped to reach other students with the gospel. He might say something like, one church, one little tiny church over in Garland has grown into five churches that's seeking to make and mature disciples across the whole DFW area. Jesus might say something like, lost, hurt, broken, uncertain people like me are for some reason being invited into God's family here and being healed and being transformed into new creations. He might say, disciples are joining the workforce, going into offices and schools and remote jobs and hospitals and restaurants and shops to love and care for lost people who are made in God's image. We're bringing our uncertainty to Jesus. That's the best place to take it. And he can respond by telling us what he's doing and what, where he's working. It's easy for us to maybe not see that, and it doesn't mean everything's perfect. But what good news it is for Jesus to remind us what he's doing, where he's working, the things he's transforming, the bits of his kingdom that are growing, that are here right now. And I think, honestly, this is a great model for what any one of us should do when we experience uncertainty, just to do what John did. I kind of bad-talked John early about just hypothesizing what things might be going through his mind, causing doubt, but I think it's a good model. The best we could do is probably what he did. Go to Jesus with our uncertainty. Remind ourselves of who Jesus actually is and let him point out to us what he's doing, where he's working. Um, A friend of mine pointed me toward reading Colossians this past week, and I ended up not really finding a, a way to use it at first, and then there's a section of it that I just wanted to read at the end that I thought was just a really, really cool encouragement. And um, it was kind of a last-second thing. And, and anyway, so this is Colossians 1. And this is in the message, starting in verse 15. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. He holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, And leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him, without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. Amen? Amen. 
At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Jesus brought you over to God's side. Put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to that message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I kind of intentionally planned a shorter talk today because I just didn't know how long it would take us to read through that document earlier. But the, the good news about that is I'm going to have the worship team come up and just sing another song they already sang before, before we do announcements and close up today. And while they're doing that, I'm just going to say a short prayer. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for, for this message, for being who you are and for being someone that um, not only we can really trust in, but when we do waver in that trust and we become uncertain, um, you take us gently and graciously, and you remind us what you're doing. Um, at the same time, God, we ask that you would just help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us not to be distracted. Um, help us to let you sort of set our, our path and our steps as individuals, Lord, and as a community. We, um, man, Lord, we really need you to do that for us. We really need you to be the one guiding us, taking our hand. Um, help us not to be to waver and, and look toward other things, Lord. But thank you that you forgive us and you're merciful when we do that. In your name I pray. Amen. There's my kryptonite again. My kryptonite, babies. Uh, I was playing with Anila back there, so my fault, my fault. Um, we'll do announcements super fast, so you guys don't have to worry. Um, so, do we have one for coffee? Is that the first one? Okay, wow, look at that. We're looking for, we're like gonna bring back coffee. Like, that's a thing. Um, I know, coffee's coming back. Um, another thing that, like, maybe I'll just put out there is if someone wants to bring donuts to church, they could as well. In fact, this morning, my son was like, hey, which church are we going to today? And I was like, we're gonna go to Denton. And he goes, which church has donuts? And I go, that's Wiley. And he goes, let's go to Wiley. And I was like, first of all, like your heart's in the wrong space. But your mind is kind of right. You know what I mean? Just saying, maybe a part of warm community is coffee and donuts. So if you want to be the kind of person, like, we don't have to assign anybody that. We do need to with coffee because we do worry about the quality of coffee here, apparently. Even though I believe, personally... That all coffee tastes the same. Okay, so um, just make sure I got there. Um, almost created an insurrection. We'll be brewing the freshest Folgers, uh, and that you guys have ever had. Okay, um, it's the best part of waking up, you guys. Um, so, so just joking. It'll be a good coffee. If you're interested in that, contact Josh. That's his number: three two five eight six four four two one two. Great. All right, next one. Uh, Spark Conference. We've talked about this already. Uh, the Spark Conference is for people that are young, you know, hip, 
jiving, thriving, all the above. Um, if you're looking how to adult, um, and if you are uh, interested in some, some select topics, namely, let me tell you the topics real quick, learning how to follow Jesus while adulting. That's going to break out. One of them is ministry in the workplace. Another one is navigating singleness and dating. Okay, And then another one is, this has got to be Chelsea, discipling and socio-emotional health. Um, is that it? Is that yours? I knew it. Okay, so, um, yeah, so if you want to know what that is even, you know, you could go and uh, go, to, go to hers. Yeah, I mean, it, make, it sounds very made up. Okay, so that is going to be April, sorry, March. I got it. Hold on, give me a second. March 27th, I bet, uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. Really cool thing and an after party from 8 to 10 because we care about partying, but also we are responsible. 10 p.m., okay? Get home, go to bed. All right, next one. Um, oh, yeah, Spring Hita. So this, yes, uh, that is April. That's coming up uh, here in April uh, 22nd is when the silent auction begins. And then April 23rd at 5 p.m., we're going to have dinner in a live auction. And that is to send teenagers to uh, 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 our teen camp in the summer. A lot of teens don't have, uh, all the teens that come don't have parents that are exactly interested in church. Um, and not really interested in supporting their kids going to a teen camp. This is a really cool opportunity to like uh, to help support send a teen that otherwise would not have a chance to go to teen camp to teen camp. And anyone that's ever been to that camp can tell you how impactful that is to those teens. Um, I remember going to those camps growing up whenever I was in high school, and uh, it really did shape me uh, tremendously in Christ. Uh, so there's that. Um, the next one is ah, what? Five, April 23rd at 5 p.m. Yeah. Um, and so uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at Denton North Church. Um, also, I think, do we put, like, Peter and Emily's wedding? That's a thing, too. Uh, we got the, the, do you guys get the newsletters? So I'm assuming you have that. If you want to RSVP to that, that would be great. And Josh, is that everything? Okay. Cool. I'll say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll stack these crazy chairs. All right. Uh, Father, you are good. Thank you so much for this community. Thank you for uh, the unity that we've experienced. Father, I pray that you continue to grow us together. Uh, help us to be known by our love, Father. Uh, we just love you. We thank you and praise you. Same. Amen. All right, you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Go in peace. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.